And welcome to another episode of The Bandit Room. My name is Charles. I'm joined here in the studio today by Mr. Caleb. Hello. Across the table from me is Mr. Aggie. What's up? Welcome back, sir. Thank you. I say welcome back. Welcome back to everybody. We, we've taken a little hiatus for a minute. Is that yeah. what it was? A little little thought, summer hiatus. I just thought you guys were not working hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know Caleb went to like a bunch of movies when I was gone. Yeah, it is movie season right now. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Have, a lot of movies. Have you caught any of it? No. No. I didn't. No. The last one was Top Gun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen anything I'm about that. just as bad. I did catch Oppenheimer, though. Have you I, seen both yeah. the Oppen- Barbenheimer experience? Yep, I yeah. did. Yep. I did. You went all the way to Atlanta to experience it. Yeah, for the 70 millimeter IMAX uh, yeah. for Oppenheimer. Was it was worth it? Yes. It's worth That's the travel? Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. It's still out there? Uh, yeah, I think it is. Ah, um, we'll fly down there. Yeah, you might have to check. <laughs> I got my plane back today from my annual, so we'll just okay. make a trip. Nice. Nice. And of course, our guest today is meteorologist Brad Panovich with WNC CNC here in Charlotte. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Awesome. Now you are here. You are a friend of a previous guest. Uh, <laughs> we had Larry Sprinkle on a yeah. few episodes back, and and we was like, hey, you know what? Let's let's get this other other weather team here at, uh, <laughs> from WCNC. So we're glad to have you. No, thanks, thanks for, for having me. Us. Yeah. Uh, we are recording currently in the dog days of summer. Are yeah. you, are you loving it? Do you love the summer? I hate it. <laughs> um, I, I'm a fall person. Yeah. I love, yeah. I like yeah. the warm, mild days and the cool nights. Mm-hmm. I, I just where you don't need AC or heat. It's right. like the perfect, it's like your window is your thermostat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like how far up or oh, down do you perfect. want? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's the kind of year. And, but I do like summer in general. It's mm-hmm. just the humidity just gets out of control and i don't like walking out at like 10 o'clock at night and feeling like it's a sauna outside that's yeah. just that's no fun to me right mm-hmm. right right i totally agree uh do you do you think this is going to be a record-setting year for heat not in the carolinas we've had a pretty cool start to the summer yeah. so it's hard for us to kind of go the other extreme we had such a cool june which was like yeah. refreshing mm-hmm. July was way hot. I mean, mm-hmm. about a degree and a yeah. half above normal, um, but it kind of canceled out the coolness. So we're right back to like even yeah, that's <laughs> right. for the summer. So even if we have a, a, a little bit above average August or near average, it'll probably be pretty tame. Now, nowhere near like the rest of the country, the southern part of the country from the desert southwest, Texas and Florida, just a brutal summer all the mm-hmm. way across. Now, how did you get into doing weather? Let's, let's walk through a little bit of your wow. background. So I have a really interesting story because like, I wanted to be a meteorologist since I was six. Is that right? So I grew up in Northeast Ohio and we had a blizzard when I was six. And it was a, like three or four blizzards in a row, but it was this mm. third blizzard in particular. They, they called it the blizzard of 78. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's- Giving away your age there. Yeah, <laughs> everyone can figure it out. So um, yeah, so I, I grew up there. We had one of those split level houses, you know, where like the basement and the, and the garage are kind of like yeah. half underground. So our driveway sloped down mm and we had a, the station wagon. And so when we got a big snowstorm with wind, the whole driveway in the car would get like drifted over yeah. and our front door got drifted over. And so we couldn't open the front door because the snow was so deep. My dad had to climb out the window to shovel out the screen door <laughs> because you know our one door opened in the, in, in the interior door, but the screen yeah. door opened out and we couldn't open it. And so he dug it out and I went out there in my, my snowsuit and I saw these six foot snow drifts and I yeah. was like, I want to know how, what and why this happens. <laughs> and so I was utterly fascinated with bad weather. Yeah. And so every time we had uh, severe thunderstorms, flooding, especially winter storms, mm-hmm. I just I would stay up all night just staring at the sky, waiting to see how much coverage the road would have, whether we'd have school or not. And so I was just fascinated with weather in general. And so every book report science fair project I could ever remember as a kid mm-hmm. was on weather. Now, at the time, I didn't want to be on TV because growing up in the 80s, early 90s, most of your TV weather people weren't meteorologists. Mm. They were like, you know, the failed news anchor that they stuck over in the weather office and said, hey, read the weather. <laughs> they, they, they weren't trained meteorologists. They were gotcha. TV presenters mm-hmm. doing the weather. So to me, that was like, that's not what I want to do. I want to be a scientist. So I really thought I'd go work for NOAA, the National Weather Service. I'd mm. be you know, working for the government or I'd chase storms, which was like my pipe dream forever, well, mm-hmm. but you can't make any money doing that. <laughs> or, you know, I would go back to school and be a professor or something. So when I got the chance to go to college, I, I picked three schools, offer their meteorology program. Penn State was my number one choice. It's a very large meteorology school. St. Louis University in St. Louis, and then Ohio State, which was the only state school in Ohio where I grew up that had a meteorology program. 
So those are my three choices. Well, the first two got whittled out pretty quickly because of cost. (laughs) In-state tuition was was a bargain. And so I went to Ohio State, this huge university, 60,000 students at the time when I'm there. Our program had 12 people in it. (laughs) 12 undergraduates in meteorology. And I just fell in love with the, the, the campus and the lifestyle. Ended up playing soccer there, walked on the soccer team and just had a great college experience. Graduated my degree in atmospheric science, a minor in, in climatology, no journalism, no broadcasting, nothing. <laughs> Get ready to graduate. Government has a hiring freeze uh, in the weather service because they had a budget impasse in Congress. Mm-hmm. This happens from time to time. The yep. first thing is like, guess what? We're not hiring anybody. Mm-hmm. So I start saying, oh crap, <laughs> what am I gonna do? <laughs> right. My buddy says, do an internship at a TV station. I'm like, nope, those people are phony. They don't know what they're doing. (laughs) And eventually I gave in, walk into the CBS affiliate in Columbus, Ohio for my internship. And they had a Doppler radar. They had all these silicon graphics machines, which I was a really big tech geek to. I love technology. And I knew a lot about the the graphics and hardware system. And I was like, this is cool. Mm -hmm. So I started building a lot of graphics for them, all these 3D graphics. And at one point in my internship, the news director came out to the weather office, was like, hey, who's building all these graphics? These are awesome. And <laughs> the chief meteorologist was like, our intern Brad is, because none of they didn't know how to use any of this equipment. <laughs> and she's like, do you want a job? And I said, doing what? We want you to be a weather producer. And I didn't know what that was. She said, we basically want you to do the forecast, build the graphics, do everything but present it in front mm-hmm. of the camera. So I finished up school doing that. Yeah. And it really kind of gave me some experience about like the TV broadcast thing was about. And so I graduated and I had my resume online and a TV station in Dayton, Ohio reached out to me and said, hey, we'd love to interview you for a morning meteorologist position. I said, sure, here's my resume, everything. And they tell me the first, my first learning experience in broadcasting was, we need a resume reel. I was like, what's that? <laughs> we need you to send a copy or a video of you doing the weather, like an audition. Yeah. So that night I had one horribly fitting sport coat. And as a, co- as a college senior, you know, barely fits me. It looked, looked horrible, probably bought it at like, you know, Kohl's or something. Yeah. And um, I go in that night after my, my, my shift as a weather producer and after the six o'clock news and they let me record in front of the key wall and practice. And I did a whole bunch of takes and I sent it off to them and they gave me a job. Mm-hmm. And it was only part time because mm-hmm. they only had today's show cut-ins, a 30 minute morning show, and then I was done for the day. Gotcha. And I actually, believe it or not, for nine months, I worked in TV in the morning and I worked at Dick's Sporting Goods in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that, but the cool thing was I got to learn about TV yeah. on the job and I didn't have a contract, so I really wasn't tied down to the station. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of, that's when I started really enjoying the broadcast part mm-hmm. because the cool thing about it was that I loved weather, I loved science, and the broadcast field was an outlet to share it with other people that I probably wouldn't have had if I was sitting in a cubicle or yeah. at the weather service office just typing out forecasts and not communicating with the public. Yeah. So I really started falling in love with it and I, I ended up getting another job offer mm-hmm. in Traverse City, Michigan to be a chief meteorologist at a Fox station. And went up there, Was I was their first on-air person. They just started, this is when the Fox affiliates started doing news. Mm-hmm. They were, the network was forcing them all to be local news uh, providers as well as a national network. Gotcha. And so I was their first hire. It was a smaller market, but I was the chief. Mm-hmm. Got to hire my staff, pick out the equipment, and um, loved it up there. I thought I'd be there three years, was there a year, and our station manager says, we're selling the station. Oh. Well, I, I, I knew enough ab- about broadcasting at this point. When things get sold, you start looking for other things to do. <laughs> so I called a couple of my networking options yeah. that I had and said, hey, I, my station's being sold. I don't know what that's going to mean for me. I just want to keep my options open. And New Orleans, Louisiana called and said, hey, we'd love to come have you come down and do an interview. I said, well, at the very least, I get a free trip to New Orleans. Right. <laughs> I get to go to the, because the station was in the French Quarter, yeah. which was like the coolest thing ever. Right. And so I flew down there, not thinking in a million years, I'd be working in New Orleans. And they pretty much offered me the job on the spot. Mm. And it was a huge pay increase. And I thought, man, this is not really where I want to be because I like four season climates. Mm-hmm. And But it was the number one CBS affiliate. It was an awesome powerhouse station. I said, this would be a good career move if I do want to move back to like Ohio or make it to the Weather Channel or somewhere like that. And mm-hmm. so I moved down there and ended up staying four years mm-hmm. and um, got to fly into hurricanes, 
got to cover hurricanes. I was one of the first meteorologists they had that actually went out in the field. They never, they always sent reporters out. Oh. And so when I went down there, I said, hey, send me to cover the hurricanes. Right. And they're like, we don't do that. We only send reporters. And I did it. And they're like, wow, you're pretty good at this. So let's do this again. <laughs> so they, because the thing was about, it's, I always thought it was weird. They sent news people to cover weather events yeah. because the news people have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. They're just regurgitating what they heard somewhere else or what someone yeah. told them. As a meteorologist, when you're out in the field, you know what's happening. So yeah. it's easier for you to talk about what's going on. So that was natural for me and it just kind of clicked. And so I ended up chasing hurricanes and working weekends down there. And after a while, I got really tired of living in New Orleans. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong, New Orleans is an amazing city. Right. Best people I've ever been around. It's one of those places I always tell people, it's a great place to visit. It's not a great place to live. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I also missed four season climate. Yeah. There's only two seasons in yeah. New Orleans, summer and hurricane season. <laughs> and you know, I just told you how I don't like summer. Right, right, right. <laughs> and you think it's hot and humid here. Yeah. I would go do the morning show in New Orleans. Oh yeah. 2.30 in the morning, it's like 90 degrees oh, outside. Yeah, yeah. It is, I mean, and it was hot yeah. at Easter. Uh, it was yeah. hot on Halloween. It was just like, it never ended. So I knew I wanted to get back, maybe not to Ohio, not that far north, but mm -hmm. somewhere where there was some winter, some yeah. fall, a spring. And I'd always loved the Carolinas. We had a sister station here in Charlotte. Mm -hmm. And right away I said, that's where I wanna go. And so I applied, got the job and moved up here and it just kinda, just that that was it it was like i can't got you felt like home within the first week of moving here nice. and just fell in love with the area the climate the city the people and I, you know I'm, now i've been here 20 years never thought once about leaving that's awesome man but you just did what every everyone from ohio is doing <laughs> <laughs> I, I just went through, i went i took the long way, here. <laughs> long way to get here. so where in northeast uh, ohio are you from akron Oh, really? So Akron, Ohio. Oh, wow. Yeah. Small My wife's world. from Akron. Oh, yeah. We have an office in Akron. Oh, great. Yeah, the Five Stone Building. Yeah, I mean, I'm flying back there on uh, Friday. You still have family up there? Yeah, all my family's still up there. We lived on the west side, a little town called Copley. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's what Jim. That's so funny. So funny. So One of our uh, business development guy who's from our Ohio office, he lives in Copley. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my brother's <laughs> up there. My uh, my mom, who just passed, but she she was living up there. My dad and then my younger brother, <laughs> um, they all stayed in that area, and so I still go up and visit them. And but I don't miss the winters up there, yeah. not right. because of the snow and cold. I always tell people that's not the problem living on the it's the lack of sunshine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is true. You don't see the sun yeah, for that. four months. Yeah. So I love cold and snow. I love yeah. skiing and all that. But the problem is it's never sunny in the winter up there. Right. That's what gets on you, not yeah. the cold and the snow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you've been in Charlotte for twenty years. Uh do I have this right that you went back to New Orleans during Katrina? Yeah, so it oh, yeah. it was it was a, a weird story. Um, probably the most eventful weather event I ever covered in my life. Um, I had been here, so I moved here basically December two thousand two, mm -hmm. but I didn't start on air till January twenty o three. Gotcha. Um, and so I, I was twenty o three. So obviously Katrina hits in two thousand five. So this is about yeah. two years into my stint in mm -hmm. Charlotte. As I mentioned, our stations are owned by the same company. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm st obviously two years removed. I'm still friends with everyone at the old station. Mm -hmm. I actually knew the guy who replaced me because yeah. he moved from Eastern North Carolina to go gotcha. take the job <laughs> in New Orleans. Places. But he was from Cincinnati, Ohio. So it was kind of, <laughs> we had these all these weird connections, you know. And knowing what I know about New Orleans, I could see when Katrina was forming mm -hmm. over Florida that it, this was probably going to be bad news mm -hmm. for New Orleans. So I reached out to them and said, hey, guys, I know this, this looks pretty bad. Let me know if I can help you remotely. You know, if you want me to update the website, do anything I can, build graphics for you on my end, we'll FTP them down there. So their news director reached out to my news director and said, yes, mm -hmm. let's fly Brad down here right now to help out. Mm -hmm. So between the six and 11 o'clock news on like a Saturday night, I got on a plane and flew to New Orleans mm -hmm. with one carry-on piece of luggage. And I got up Sunday morning, started broadcasting. A Sunday night, we get evacuated to the Hyatt Regency Superdome, and then Monday morning, the storm hits, and I ride the thing out in the Hyatt Regency Superdome. Mm. And then I end up staying two weeks covering the storm mm. by traveling back and forth from LSU, Baton Rouge, and I stayed in a different place every night. Yeah. And all of this with like one change of clothes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but it was just, it was crazy. You know, there's there's a lot of things they can talk about Katrina. It's the stuff yeah. you see, you smell. It was just, right. it was a wild experience. Mm -hmm. hmm. Would you say that was probably the most extreme storm you've covered? By far. Yeah. And probably, like I said, the most impactful to me personally, because 
you know, when you know, I said I love weather, you cover it, you, you, you don't always personalize it as much. Right. But Katrina was the first time that every single person I was working with was affected by it. Hmm. You know, what happens is a TV station, half of us stayed in New Orleans, the other half went to Baton Rouge. We kind of have two uh, backup facilities. And, but everybody who's there, their families have evacuated. Yeah. So they're by themselves. And so that two weeks of seeing the devastation and everybody you know that work, you work with, their family's not there, so they're separated from their immediate family. And at the same time, they know their house mm. is completely destroyed. Mm. Yeah. So it was emotionally, it was really a struggle every day. Yeah. People poured their, their heart and soul into work to try to avoid mm-hmm. the reality, but every day somebody would finally realize and mm-hmm. break down and like, hey, I know I've lost everything. Mm-hmm. And a couple of times during that, I went and helped people clear their house out yeah. from flood damage, and it was just horrible. So mm-hmm. to see that and see the personal toll it took on people I knew, it was like the first time where I'm like, you know what? I do not like hurricanes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't. And after that year, I was like, I don't. I could probably go my rest of my career and not cover another hurricane because yeah. of the devastation I saw. Yeah. I was I there about ten months after the hurricane hit, yeah. and it was still so bad, man. Well, it, I went it, back it, two it, years later, and yeah. it still it was. It's, it was bad. Mm-hmm. It does. The, you're right. It definitely affects you. You see, and having been to that city so many times, yeah. and then you go back. Yeah, it was mind blowing. Mm-hmm. It was. You know, well, and the people. The one thing I'll tell you about people in New Orleans, they love that city. Mm-hmm. It is like, it, people say it's like going to another country, but it is like going to another country. The culture is so different. People from there, they love it. They want. They move away. They always move back. Mm-hmm. You, you just felt for the people that got infected. And then when I moved up here, it was amazing the number of New Orleanians that moved up here after Katrina mm. that basically just got out of Dodge. And so mm-hmm. I, I would get emails all the time like, hey, we just moved here because we evacuated. It's nice to see a friendly face, someone they knew yeah. from their days down in New Orleans. So, nice. and I still know people like that today that yeah. you know will run into me and like, they still feel like it's yesterday. Yeah. It was like, but it's been, you know, it's 2005, it's been forever, it's 15 years ago. Wow. wow. <laughs> It's been 15 years? Almost, yeah. yeah. Wow. So talking about that and switching stories, since you're from Ohio, you think the Browns are going to the Super Bowl again, <laughs> again this year, again, again. Oh, man. Uh, so I, I will always be a Browns fan just because that's where I'm from. But I told myself I'm not putting my kids through that misery. So um, I, I keep that penance to myself. Um, but I feel like every year we're going. I know. But it's almost to the point now where I just accept that, like, they're going to let me down. That's just the, that's part of being a Cleveland sports fan. Hey, is, we're, we're getting used to that here in yeah, Charlotte as well. Build, build you up. But Cleveland's got an art form to it. They, they build you up. It's like, can you just let us down easy? No, we're going to get you right there, and then we're going to rip your soul out. Uh, I don't know how many times the Guardians or the Slash, the Indians, how many yeah. times I've the World Series when we played the Cubs, I thought for sure we win that. And uh, then the yeah. rain delay hits. <laughs> and we, we lose. And then the Browns a million times. That's why the Cavs winning the, the championship in 2016 right. was like, I was at the beach and I was with my in-laws and I went nuts. And my, I remember my, my mother-in-law was like, I didn't realize you liked basketball this much. I'm like, you don't realize what a big deal is. Cleveland won a championship in something. They just did not get it. I right. said, I, I was almost in tears. The fact that we had won a championship I, in something. I, I remember watching that game. I'm not a big basketball fan, but I watched with Kerry and yeah. them, you know, yeah. I had a mother, everybody's on the phone right. and going yep. crazy. Yeah. Uh, so James, uh, who's from Copley, um, he's from our Ohio office. Every year, right after draft, you know, Aggie, we are going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I always tell him, dude, you you guys have so many first rounders. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Your entire team is made out of first rounders. <laughs> well, that's a frustrating thing. Like, on paper, yeah. that is the most talented team they've ever had. But they will not win anything if that. They, it's just, they, so, that's how they do it to you. So this is what it comes down. It just comes down to this year. <laughs> He is already booked an Airbnb oh my in Vegas. See, he's jinxing what? it for us. That's <laughs> what he's <laughs> he said, we're going to the Super Bowl, and he's already booked the house. Oh. I said, listen, if the Browns are going to the Super Bowl, I'll buy the tickets. <laughs> Since you booked the house. Yeah. <laughs> but if not, you are in big trouble, my friend. <laughs> Hope you and enjoy I, the game. And I, <laughs> and I have a very good <laughs> chance of winning that bet right now. <laughs> yeah. I, but the thing is, since I've been here, I've been such a huge Panthers fan. Like, it's to me, I, I love the Panthers more, I think, than people from here because <laughs> I appreciate the success and the, yeah. the stability of the franchise. As many warts and issues as the Panthers have had, right. I would trade franchises in a heartbeat. <laughs> the fact that in my time here, we've gone to two Super Bowls, mm. 
right? is amazing yeah. to me. And I think people in this area take it for granted how successful this team has been because there's teams like us, the Browns. Yeah. We've been around since the early days right. and we've never sniffed a Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> I, we moved here, me and my wife moved here in 2006. I started watching uh, Panthers in like 2006, uh, seven season. And um, so 2015 is when we got season tickets and I go there and the people around me are like, from day one, they've been, you know, season yeah. ticket holders. And every game I went to, we were <laughs> winning, like, every game, like, yeah. nonstop. And then they go, Aggie, this is not how it works, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> not every game, you leave the stadium happy and cheering and excited. No, it doesn't It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. And we're like, well, it's happening. And you then you the lucky charm for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then we obviously, we lost that one game against the Falcons. But that oh. was just, like, you know, throwaway, whatever. Yeah. Um, but then... Two seasons later, then I finally experienced a losing home yeah. game. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I can't believe this. <laughs> yeah. like, this is horrible. And this urologist who sits in front of me, um, he goes, Aggie, I told you. It's pretty, it sucks, man, when you leave here and <laughs> you just have yeah. one losing game after the other. So, But it's they're good. easy to root for, and, and they have the tailgating's great for the Panthers right. games. They really, that's the first thing, as somebody who's a lifelong football fan, the first mm-hmm. thing I recognized I got here, it's like, this. they know how to tailgate here. They, <laughs> they do it right. The, it's, the pre-games are really good here. So it, it's easy to root for the team, though. And I really, Panthers are, you know, they've kind of, I've kind of given up on the Browns for so many years. <laughs> right. and like, it was just like, I'm going to adopt. And then my kids are Panthers fans. So it's easy as a family for us just to adopt and root for the Panthers. But I do. The Panthers and Browns play each other like last year. Mm-hmm. That was a tough game. Part of me was like, <laughs> part of me was like, I wanted the Browns to win, but I'm like, who needs this game more? <laughs> Probably the Panthers in that rule at the time. And the fact that they lost, I'm like, well, that's it. That rule's done. <laughs> so who do you hate? Which team do you hate the most? The Ravens or the Steelers or the Bengals? Ooh. Well, growing up as a Cleveland fan, you got to hate the Steelers. Right. And the, right. the thing was, we've always, that's always been our biggest rival. Um, now, the Ravens are always going to have that deep-seated – they're former Browns, but mm-hmm. you hated them because of who their owner was and who mm-hmm. moved the team. Mm-hmm. But after Art Modell passed, you know, rest in peace, I think that kind of like – that put it to bed. Like the Ravens, okay, it's over. We got our own team. But the Steelers are still up there. And the thing about, I didn't realize about the Cleveland-Pittsburgh thing, I thought it was just a football thing Mm. until I visited Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. And you go there, and there's signs and shirts about like how there's their interstate signs that say like 80 miles of stupidity. It's like, <laughs> to, to like Cleveland or whatever. And I'm like, I'm like, they actually hate the city of Cleveland. It's not a football thing. They make fun of Cleveland. And, and the funny thing is the two cities, the people are like the same kind of people. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why they're such a good rivalry because they literally are the same kind of blue collar, steel, uh, uh, rust belt kind of towns. Mm-hmm. The, the, the populations could not be more similar and they yeah. hate each other right. and I think it's like a family uh, rivalry you know kind That's of thing <laughs> so, my, my business partner's son he goes to University of Pittsburgh so I uh, was going to visit him and James he said you know he's only an hour and a half from uh, uh, Copley so he yeah. said I'll drive up there we meet up in a hotel parking lot and before we go in, he goes hold on I said what are you doing he's like let me just spit out this <laughs> Oh yeah, like that. that's fun. Toys, I, when, when I lived in Michigan, and I'd have to drive back uh-huh. between Traverse City and uh-huh. my. Yeah. Every time I drove through by Ann Arbor, I spit out the window <laughs> <laughs> because of our rivalry with Michigan. <laughs> so I know exactly why he did that. <laughs> so in the uh, airline industry, yeah, I, I, I'm a pilot. I fly, yep. but not you know commercially. Yeah, you know, on my own uh, with some passengers. People are like. Um, <laughs> most airline industry, like when they get into an airline, they never leave because yeah. everything is based on seniority. Yep. In your line of work, is that the same? Not really. Um, I've been lucky. Like for someone to stay somewhere 20 years is kind of rare right. because what a lot of people do, and, I, and maybe it's because I didn't want to get into TV, people mm-hmm. end up moving around a lot because they're mm-hmm. trying to get to the, like this ideal market. Like everybody mm-hmm. wants to be in a big media market. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And I never wanted to do that, first of all, because the big media markets are like New York, LA, Chicago. Mm-hmm. To answer your question, most people move around gotcha. quite a bit um, because we're on contracts. We all have employee contracts. So they're two or three year deals. Every two or three years, you're kind of exploring your options. Yeah. Right. And so pe- because of that, people tend to move around a lot. Um, for me, I this is where I wanted to live. So it was a no brainer. Like I had I've, people always like, you're gonna leave or you have opportunities. I've had opportunities, but I'm not leaving 
where I want to live mm-hmm. just for a job. I, you know, I always tell you, you want to live where you live first and then worry about the work thing later. <laughs> right, right. Makes sense. So do, have you ever lost a bet? Do you like, do you guys like bet with people? Like, oh. it's got two o'clock, it's going to rain where you live. <laughs> yeah. I'll put 50 bucks on it. And if it doesn't, have you made any money like that? I have not made any money, but I have impressed a lot of people. <laughs> my kids being number one. I remember my, my kids really don't understand what I did until the first time I told them it was going to rain and they woke up and it was sunny. And they're like, Dad, what are you talking about? It's sunny right now. It's going to rain by this afternoon. And when it rained, my daughter thought I was a wizard. <laughs> she was like, Dad, how did you know that? I'm like, well, because I knew it was going to come this afternoon. And so stuff like that, I think, is, is what I've done. But gambling, there is money to be made in weather, though, forecasting. It's funny. People think, you know, the TV people make all the money. You know where yeah. the most money in meteorology is? Commodities trading. Oh. Um, most of the, there's meteorologists that work on three, six, nine-month forecasts for mm. commodities and mm-hmm. um, energy futures yeah. and farm futures. Mm-hmm. That's where the money is. Huge commission. And those forecasts are, are, are more climate forecasts. Mm-hmm. And so if you can forecast a cold winter and have someone buy natural gas futures low mm-hmm. or buy energy futures low and then sell them high in the winter, that's where you get commission on that mm-hmm. for your forecast. So gotcha. those those meteorologists, those commodities guys make a ton of money. Was that <laughs> was that on your radar? I looked at a job one time at Columbus like that. It was yeah. for the energy company, actually. Yeah. And part of it was being the meteorologist for the power company and helping their commodities traders buy and sell natural gas and electricity. Gotcha. So that's, that's really, if you want money, that's kind of where the money is in our business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you said... Um, you're married now with kids. Yep. When, when you were in the world of dating, saying I'm a weather guy, did that, <laughs> did that impress anyone? I don't know if it impressed anybody, <laughs> but people definitely knew you were on TV. And, but that was the hard part about finding a girl that was taking you seriously. Like, are you like, are you interested in me because like you're interested in me or like, cause you're the guy on TV. Um, and I remember that was the one selling point for my wife. I went, I met her on a blind date. Yeah. And she had no idea who I was. And I'm like, all right, I love you already. <laughs> so like, because she got to know me as me first and not the TV weather clean, guy. Clean slate. Yeah, yeah, yeah but, um, I'll, but I did date girls that were like that. Like they thought it was cool. But the funniest part about what I do is that a lot of people recognize me, but they don't know from where. Mm. And so I'll get a lot of like, and you don't want to be like one of those egotistical guys like, oh yeah, oh, yeah, I work on TV, that's why. <laughs> no, I'm like, so I just like, oh, I don't know, where do you know me from? And they'll be like, are you the UPS guy? Or <laughs> do you go to church with me? <laughs> and I have to sit there and go, oh no. Yeah. Um, I actually, I work in broadcast. Yeah. Oh, you're the weather guy. Oh, and usually yeah. they hear my voice, mm-hmm. they know. They'll, right. they'll recognize the face and then as soon as they hear me speak, they'll know exactly who I am. That's so. Funny. But probably that, because people aren't watching television as religiously exactly. as we used to in the past. So like yeah. people like really knew their their anchors back then. No, in the day. they just know it's a familiar face or they'll it's like you're you're a, a name and a face yeah. that, that people have seen so if you throughout have, their day. I always say you need three pieces of information to confirm they yeah. like they kinda recognize me. If I'm at like somewhere I have to yeah. show an ID or like have a credit card, they'll mm-hmm. they'll see the name and they'll go, Oh, okay, then they'll figure it out. But yeah. My wife hates it because people, when we go out, they're like, pss, 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 and she'd be like, just come over and say something, quit whispering. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, they're like, we're normal people, just come yeah. say hi, it's not a big deal, you know? One of the funniest things Larry told us when he was here is we were talking about like, what's it like going around Charlotte, yeah. you know? And he's like, well, when I go to the grocery store, I do the forecast, you know, 10 yeah. times. Oh. Like, yeah. That's, for whatever reason, he's right. It's like yeah. when, for me, it's Costco. Yeah. Like, I don't know what it is about Costco, but <laughs> I cannot go in there without stopping in every aisle and having to talk. And, and most people, they'll, they'll get excited. They'll yeah. ask you. Then they go, oh, you probably don't. I'm like, no, I love the weather. I want to talk about it. Don't ask me silly things about Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune <laughs> or something on our station that I have no idea about. Right. If it's weather related, I will talk about it. Right. Um, it's the other weird stuff. And people are always amazed that I know like right off the top of my head, what's going on? I said, yeah, this is not just a shtick for me. This right, is like, right. I live, breathe, and eat this stuff, so right. I know exactly what's going on. So Larry said he he gets up and leaves for work at 2.30 oh, in the morning. Is yes. that what you do too? Uh, not me. I have the opposite schedule. Oh, okay. So I used to do mornings, and I had to do that when I was in New Orleans, and it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I go to work about 2, 2.30 in the afternoon. Okay. And then I don't get home until about midnight or 1, depending on. Gotcha. It. But it's all weather dependent, like I said. Like if there's bad weather, I've been in there with Larry in the morning, mm-hmm. and we've been tag-teaming tornadoes. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes what happens when we know there's like a hurricane or a snowstorm, 
we kind of do 12 hour shifts where like I'll hand it off to Larry at 2 AM mm-hmm. and then he'll stay and hand it back off to me 2 PM the next day. Gotcha. Hmm. So when we're in like a, you know, a, a landfalling tropical system or we got a big snowstorm, which for our area is like an inch, right? Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> something like that. Then, then we'll kind of do those 12 hour shifts. So yeah. it, it, because the thing about weather, it's like, even though we do news, what we do, weather's 24 seven. So digitally, socially apps, you got to have updates all the time. It can't just wait for the six and 11 o'clock news, mm-hmm. which we don't do anymore. That's, that's a funny thing is people, I, I always tell people like, oh, I don't watch TV. I said, well, don't worry. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, app, Amazon. I mean, you don't have to watch TV to right. get right. my information. Right. Right. In fact, I don't even care if you do, as long as you're getting it from some other source. And, and that's just the way the industry's changed. And thankfully I was on the, on the beginning of that, kind of realized that mm-hmm. early on that that's where it was going mainly because of my passion for it and all these digital outlets gave me time to talk and do about things that I couldn't do on TV. Yeah. Right. I watched a great documentary. I think they made two parts of it. Um, in that documentary, they have a like a ground where all the anchormen and weather people meet from <laughs> different TV stations. <laughs> you thinking of an anchorman? <laughs> <laughs> and I, think I think that was a fight, wasn't it? <laughs> the, battle, the battle of the station. The battle of the, have you done anything like that? <laughs> uh, not like, but we, it's funny you say that though because people always think we're like really like rivals. Right. Because we have the same stuff we go through and the same kind of you know, misery and joys. <laughs> TV people are pretty close knit community. Like we're all friends hmm. with people at the other stations and especially the meteorologists because there's so few of us. Right. So we are all part of organizations where we meet together, we have lunch together, mm-hmm. we do social events together. So it's it's not common for like, I'm really good friends with Eric Thomas before I, gradu- uh, before I graduated, before he retired. Mm-hmm. I've had graduated from TV to real life. <laughs> um, but you know, and Steve Uelson and like, you know, John Aarons, we're all close. We talk a lot because we have similar interests and we, and we basically are a very close knit community. So it, there's more rivalry, I think, between the station managers and like who watches who and stuff. But mm-hmm. the people, we all, we're, if you go to like a, a press conference, you'll see two people from different stations helping each other out hmm. somebody hey i'm gonna get the audio will you record the video mm-hmm. because it just makes their jobs and lives easier right the yeah. same spot and so they share a lot of information mm-hmm. so it's not as it's not as as, as as contentious as some people would think in the tv business gotcha. i think i asked larry this question yeah. i'm gonna ask you too yeah. why do tv stations send a reporter to a live report outside a courthouse it's already closed about something that happened at 11 o'clock in the morning i don't that frustrates me more than anything. We, reporting live to you from the footsteps like, of the court it's dark, like pitch black dark there's a dark hole behind you like you could have put, the, put them in front of the key one just throw a building yeah. up there right, right no there's a lot of weird things that tv like a lot of managers in tv always had to say, you got to be live mm-hmm. well if there's nothing to be live in front of why are you live there's no reason for it the best thing that's happened for us, and it sounds horrible, is the economy and the, the money. It costs money to do that. Mm-hmm. We can get the same shot for less money if we record that or mm-hmm. do it some other way. So it, what's happened is that a lot of that's going away just because of the way the economics of broadcasting is going. But you know, when I first started, we would do a lot of silly stuff like mm-hmm. that. Hmm. Uh, they tried to cram as many live shots as possible mm-hmm. in a show and they would try to cram as many stories and call everything breaking news, even though it happened eight hours ago. Um, They just do a lot of silly things because they do research and they find one catchphrase or one thing that works well, and then they just drub it into the ground because they think it's gonna work. That reminds me of a story of, I don't know which local channel it was. I was in Charlotte Airport when it was bad weather, the flights were delayed, and I was watching the the TV that was going on. They were Mm -hmm. showing the news about the weather and every, few minutes or whenever they had the breaks and uh, they had this local TV station ad for a segment that was coming later on in the evening. <laughs> One of the local uh, local reporter lady and she kept saying, I'm going to show you how to save gas, uh, money on gas, like mm-hmm. because that's when the gas was like $4 or $5 right, a gallon. Yeah. Right. So they keep coming. And then I said, I really wanted to see what is that she's going to show you. <laughs> it disappointed you, didn't it? I disappointed. <laughs> I wanted to like choke her. <laughs> so I finally found the TV like that evening. And when the thing came on for the nine, 10 o'clock news, yeah. 11 o'clock news, again, they were like blasting that ad nonstop. <laughs> finally, she comes on. Again, in the pitch black dock, she's at a gas station. <laughs> I'm gonna show you. You know what she did? She walked to her car and then she goes, this is not how you save money on gas. And she takes a left and then she goes, shows a moped. She goes, this uh, is what you should be driving oh, to. Oh, what the heck? 
Very useful. Thank you. And then so I bumped into her at Charlotte Airport oh, once, and I really wanted to stop her and ask the question, but she looked like she just got out of bed, so I, don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> so I left her alone. I that that back in the day when there was ratings periods in books, where like they only did ratings during certain times of year, mm. you'd get those breathless teases and these promotionals, and you know the five things that could kill you. We'll show you tonight at eleven. <laughs> right. It's like, yeah. well, I kind of yeah. like to know that now. <laughs> like, but they would do that to try to get you to watch, and right. it always yeah. underdelivered because oh, yeah. the promotion and the tease was way more dramatic than what the actual story right, was right but that was a gimmicky thing that a lot of tv stations did and some still do it's it was the clickbait of broadcasting mm-hmm. is right, what it was right right it was to get you to click on the story or watch the story and then you're reading like well that's not what this story is about <laughs> at all but you got they got you there that's right. the whole point you right, know right With over 10 years of experience, Express Truck Tax is proud to be the market-leading Form 2290 e-file provider. We offer great support, a free audit check before transmitting, and instant updates on the status of your Schedule 1. Filing is as simple as 1, 2, 3. Just create an account, file your return, and get your Schedule 1. Join the hundreds of thousands of truckers who choose Express Truck Tax year after year. Express Truck Tax, the leading 2290 filing solution for the trucking industry. Today's bourbon is chicken cock. So Brad, what we're trying to do is like every commercial, every episode, we try something new or different and we talk about a little bit just a little bit, yeah. Hoping that they will acknowledge one of those uh, distilleries will acknowledge. It. We don't want them to sponsor <laughs> us anything. We don't need. You just want a big package of bottles for to show <laughs> up the front yeah. door. Yeah. Just want a case. That's all you want, right? Yeah. We haven't been. Uh, you talking about? That's what that's I would want to get to that. So, do you feel what's uh, what? How does that taste? Oh yeah, what's oh, good? I think it's pretty good. Pretty smooth. Good. Yeah. One of the best tours I've ever been on was the Jack Daniels Distillery. Mm. Um, even if you don't like it, <laughs> the right. tour is fascinating, hmm. and just the process and that mean it's in a dry county, yeah, right, in yeah. Tennessee, which blows your mind, <laughs> right. And so they have strict laws about sampling, yeah. So what the way they get around it is they give you a souvenir bottle. Mm. That just happens to be filled <laughs> with a liquid. <laughs> so it's 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 fascinating. And then the way they burn the wood and the the thing I thought that was really fascinating too as a meteorologist was so they have the the aging barns right. They have them spaced out in barns all across the county so that if there's a tornado that hits oh. one of them, it doesn't hit all of them. Oh, yeah, or if there's smart. a fire, it doesn't take out all of the barrels. It just takes out one. So they have them separated all over the county. It's mm. really cool. Are you into bourbon? A little bit. I'm more of a beer guy. I love craft beer. Okay. That's my okay. that's my wheelhouse. That's, <laughs> now is the time uh, you for can that. Just, uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you have like a favorite spot in Charlotte or I and I'm, I'm not I'm not sponsored by them or say <laughs> I, I do love Noda. I'm like right. hop, drop and roll and like jam session. They just yeah. love and we talked a little bit about Middle James earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, Middle James was the closest brewery to my house, so I kinda went there by default, but I was really pleasantly surprised how good their beer is. Yeah. Um, they do a really good job. Also a big fan of Lower Left Brewing, which is a small boutique brewery. Hmm. They 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 don't bottle or can anything. It's just a time. But there you have the thing called, it's a great name, Juicy McJuice Face is the <laughs> name of the beer. It is amazing. It's a great juicy IPA and it's really, really good. So a lot of, most of my friends are now bourbon collectors, you know. Yeah. We, my thing is I don't care, I'll open any bottle. You come to my house and you point to a bottle saying, let's drink that, I'll open it. Because that's what it's here for. How do you, do you, do you know, or are you a beer collector? Is that a thing uh, called beer collection? Not, not I mean, I like, tr- life, yeah, right? I and mean. I try a lot. One of the things that got me down this path was my wife, be, be, when we first met, she worked for a beer and wine distributor mm. in Charlotte, trying distributing. And they didn't, they don't do domestic beer. It was all craft beer and, and like high-end wines. And so one of the great perks of her job, she didn't even drink beer which was great for me, by the way. Um, she could go back to the warehouse and if there was a broken case or six pack, they would have all these loose bottles and she could go back there and for basically a dollar, a six pack, hmm. just fill it with whatever broken leftovers <laughs> were. And so I would try everything. Yeah. Some of it was horrible. I get what you're saying. <laughs> some of these, when the, high, when the high gravity stuff came out, yeah. uh-huh. some of these beers tasted like brandy yeah. or they tasted like liquor. 
And I'm like, that's not the reason I'm drinking a beer. <laughs> right. so some of them turned me off right away, but you, it was nice to try them because they were really expensive and I would never have bought them. So I like sampling a lot, especially local beers. So anywhere I go, I like, hey, I always ask the waiter or waitress, you know, hey, do you have a local brewery? Because yeah. I like to try the local stuff. Um, but I do have pretty picky taste. I mean, like there's there's some things I just can't, like dark, really dark beers and stouts I just mm-hmm. can't get into. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like good IPA. Mm-hmm. Like that's not really bitter or hoppy. And that's that's the fine art of finding an IPA that doesn't yeah. taste bitter and nasty. Yeah, and so when yeah. you find one, you're like, wow, this is amazing. And like you drink one and you tell someone's an IPA and they don't know it's an IPA, that's yeah. a good IPA. <laughs> that's, but <laughs> so like, the problem yeah. with this kind of beers is like, you can never remember the name. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> weird name. And you can never get it again. <laughs> no. Well, yeah, it, uh, that's why the, the labels are all the key. It's like, I just remember what the label looks like. I have no idea what it was called. It was this colored with this like fish on it or something, you yeah, know? Yeah. Uh, but you're right, there's so many different ones. Right. Sometimes these, these local craft brewers, only make small batches and then it's a great beer and it's like you never hear from it again it's right like gone. right it's like right. some some great item at costco it goes yeah. away the second yeah. you find it <laughs> so you got here on autopilot is that right part of that way, thing yeah. doesn't work that dude doesn't i work. paid for that in 2018 that's uh, a lie well they fixed it now <laughs> yeah. right they fixed it well i've hardware version too so yeah. i have the nice cameras uh, <laughs> no i was like i i've been looking for a new car for about nine months um and i knew i was not going to buy an entirely ice car internal combustion engine it was either going to be a hybrid plug-in hybrid or an ev and i had actually put an order in for a plug-in hybrid a mm-hmm. kia sportage which is was an awesome vehicle but they are impossible to get like mm-hmm. so i'd order from the factory in korea mm-hmm. and it was a two-month wait and during that two months i kept shopping mm-hmm. looking at like maybe there's another car available sooner because um, i had sold my car and i was going to be without a car for like a month and a half yeah. mm-hmm. And so I started looking around and Tesla was the first car I looked at because I had rented two from Hertz, which is a great way if you're ever interested, mm-hmm. Hertz rents them for the same price as a regular car. Mm-hmm. And so it's a great way. What does way- that tell you, Brad? <laughs> <laughs> Saves them money is what it does. That's what it does. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But it's a great way to, to try it out, you know? And we actually drove one to Ohio, which was a really true test because mm-hmm. I'm just not commuting. I'm like mm-hmm. taking it on a long trip. And I was blown away first about how great the drive was. And then second, the supercharging was like a game changer. Mm-hmm. I, and that's kind of why I always stuck with Tesla because their supercharging network is like mm-hmm. what sets them apart from everybody else. Yeah. You can, it's, people will get this this fear like, oh, I'm gonna be sitting at a charger for two hours. I'm like, not with the supercharging. <laughs> it's just like stopping for a bathroom break, get something to eat, come back and your car's 80% charged. It's like, it's amazing. So um, the price mm-hmm. had come down. I went back and test drove it and just fell in love with it. And I'm like, okay, this is the car I'm getting. Mm-hmm. So I did lease it this time though, because technology is changing so quickly with these. I'm like, I'm gonna lease it. And then in three years, the price comes down, new ones come out. I can, mm. I can you know, get my options, but I am a big fan of the EV ecosystem because it is just an amazing setup. So I was ahead of the game, Brad, here. Yeah. <laughs> I, put, I booked it in 2017, waited almost 18 months. Oh, wow. To get my Tesla. I was probably one of the first guys here to have that. The, um, what model? Model 3, dual yep. motor, autopilot crap yeah. and all that stuff in there. <laughs> <laughs> I go to pick, finally the car arrives after delay, after delay, after delay. I finally go pick up the car in Charlotte and I sit down and right where I'm looking out through the windshield, there's like a, not a crack, but a defect in the windshield. Oh man. So I tell the guy, I say, hey man, look at this thing. You know, it's right where I look out. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, this, you know, we are, we are, we are, we are busy, you know, we are like so backed up. So uh, I said, that's not my problem, <laughs> dude. <laughs> he goes, well, I can't do anything right now. Can you we'll schedule it, bring it back in a month? I said, sure. Yeah, I was excited about the car, the pickup, and you know, I was like showing it off here and people want to race at the traffic lights <laughs> or do all that all kinds of crap. But then I realized how, what a bad quality car it is inside other than you know the pickup yeah couldn't even make a phone call i don't know the why you have the why right mm-hmm. uh, i don't know how is it quiet and i have no idea i haven't been in one it was horrible i traded that in for a ram 1500 limited and <laughs> that's uh, quite, the, that's quite I the trade, right? love it yeah <laughs> i've never i typically i don't keep a car longer than a year and yeah. this one is coming up to year five and i love oh, it oh wow yeah that's great so I saw I saw your I realized it was you with your license plate. Yeah. I'm like, man, why would anyone get this? But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm happy that you're enjoying it. I love it. Hopefully, no. hopefully that uh, that liking goes past six months. I'll tell you the funny <laughs> thing about it is like it, a lot has changed because 
the wait was what I was worried about. I put the order in on a Thursday yeah. and they told me maybe a month, month and a half, which has been a huge deal. It's like, that's quicker than it used to be, six, mm -hmm. nine, 10, 12 months. Mm -hmm. And you do everything through the app, which is a weird process. You know, you don't really talk to anybody. It's the app. That afternoon, like a VIN number is assigned to me. <laughs> the car was literally built that day down in Austin at the huh. Gigafactory, shipped up two days later, was in Charlotte, and I picked it up that following Tuesday. So within a week wow. of it being built at the factory but. in Austin, came to my house. And so that process is kind of cool. And you tell people, like, this is the most American-made car you could get. It's the, <laughs> it is in the world. It's 100% American-made. Hmm. Um, and so that part of it is kind of cool. And then just driving has just been amazing. Um, I've, been, I've been really happy with it so That's far. cool. Yeah. Good stuff, yeah. You're fully immersed in the X universe then. Yeah. You're, you're also, you're, you, you follow SpaceX. You, you oh, tweet yeah. a lot about different Starlink launches, yeah. things like that. And you're an avid tweeter or Xer. Yes. What do you <laughs> call it? Do you call it X? I'm, I'm going to stick with Twitter for right now. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get into the X thing. What a, what a waste of a good brand. <laughs> right, right. It's so weird to throw it out like that. But yeah. Without any plan or anything. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm sure there's a plan. But there's a, a backstory to that. Yeah. I just finished reading about it. It's mm. pretty pretty interesting. Mm. There's a huge backstory to it. Mm. The execution was poor. Yeah, that <laughs> That's true. the problem. Yeah. That is true. But uh, other than... I was gonna say wasting your time on a Tesla. <laughs> what, 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 what do you do when you're not talking about weather? Yeah. Oh. What's your, what's your what are your hobbies? My biggest biggest thing I like doing, um, obviously now is obviously with the family is playing golf is probably my biggest passion right now. Right on. Um, I didn't start playing golf till I got to college, mm. and I wasn't very good at it. I'm still not great at it, but I love it. <laughs> right. Um, I was a pretty big athlete in high school and in college. I played three sports: basketball, track. I kicked for the football team and played soccer. soccer. Oh, wow. Okay. Soccer was my number one sport I played since I was six. I played on traveling teams. I became a keeper. So when you become a good keeper, you're very sought after. So I ended up playing on a lot of traveling teams. Um, my last name is Croatian, so I played on a Croatian fully Croatian soccer team where mm -hmm. I was the only one that spoke English <laughs> um, and got to travel around the world playing club soccer. And so it was funny when I wanted to be a meteorologist, I gave up a lot of scholarship offers for smaller schools that mm -hmm. didn't have a meteorology program because yeah. at the time the MLS was just starting and I'm like, there's no future in soccer. <laughs> I knew meteorology was what I was going to do. Yeah. Little did I know that MLS would be like a you know viable career path now. And so I, when I went to Ohio State, I just went there for the degree and ended up walking on the soccer team because I, I love soccer and I said you didn't recruit me can I walk on the coach hated me because he's like I don't accept walk-ons but again being a keeper was beneficial here because yeah. I went to tryouts and I was like oh you're not bad we could always use an extra keeper so um, played a couple years of soccer and then um, quit the varsity team played club soccer full-time which was way more fun got to travel yeah. still play other schools but party on the road right. <laughs> which was fun <laughs> um and we actually went to the national championship in club soccer which was pretty cool and then so i, I played a lot of soccer when i moved to charlotte too i would play soccer five six times a week nice. um in between sometimes six and eleven o'clock news i'd go play <laughs> this is when i was single i'd go play a game of soccer come back to the station and do the 11 o'clock news um flag football and you know so i did a lot of that and so now for me it's getting older slowing down golf has become kind of like the thing i like to do um, just like being on the golf course. Yeah. And then I'm an amateur photographer, a drone pilot. I like, I'm, I'm not a great photographer, but I love the technology of digital photography. That's what kind of drew it to me initially because I love the technology of it and the ability to do what you can. Yeah. Um, and I don't do portraits and stuff. I do a lot of landscapes. Obviously, when you're a meteorologist, you love taking pictures of the weather, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. clouds, sky, and then astrophotography yeah. is really the, mm. If I had more money to mm. waste, <laughs> I'd spend it on astrophotography equipment, uh, which can be really expensive. But so I really explain love that. Is that like photos of uh, yeah, like, objects in space? You know, mostly stuff that you can see right now. But I would love to get like a nice telescope with a DSLR mount mm. where I could track ob deep space objects, gotcha. where I can have like two, three, four, five minute exposures mm. and take pictures of like um, nebulas and like gotcha. galaxies and stuff. Um, where you need to have the, the the telescope track it for a long period of time so you don't get blur, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but that's really expensive. And we got a lot of light pollution here, which doesn't yeah, make it the greatest. Yeah. But um, I do love taking pictures of the night sky because it's amazing what you can see with the long exposure, even in the backyard in Charlotte. Yeah. People are, I will show pictures and they're like, where'd you take that in my backyard? And they're <laughs> like blown away with a 300 millimeter lens. It's yeah. just, mm. if you know where to point the camera hmm. and do the right settings, you can catch a lot of cool things in the sky. 
Now, one of the most interesting things that I've seen you post about that you've done is in your backyard, you've created a snow machine oh, yes. for the winter. So <laughs> yes. it's just like regular stuff, right? Like yeah. It's not like a high-end machine. That no, so this slip. is, um, so I recited my house about 15 years ago. First house me and my wife owned and lived together. I recite, I did fiber cement board. Yeah. So I, and it all stems to, I had a contractor come out and quote me some crazy price to reside my house. Yeah. And I'm like, that's highway robbery. So I started pricing out the materials yeah. and I could do it for a third of the cost myself. <laughs> and I'm like, how hard is this to do? So I did what anyone does. I YouTube everything, yeah. um, figure out how to do it. And I'm like, this is not that hard. And yeah. so I did fiber cement board. So in that process, I had to buy a big air compressor for the, uh, the roofing nailer, mm-hmm. which was what you use for the siding. It's the gotcha. same kind of nailer. Mm-hmm. And so when I was done with that project, um, I had this air compressor. I'm like, hmm, what can I do with this air compressor? It's way too big just to pump up tires. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna make a snowmaker. Because I had this vision, because this is what they do at the ski resorts. They yeah. take air and compressed uh, water, and they put it into a nozzle, and they decompress it, and it makes super cool water, yeah. and it makes snow. So I came up with the first plan of, for a T gun. It looks like the letter T. And you just take a garden hose and air compressor, and it's one nozzle. It's very rudimentary, very simple. And I did that one morning, got up at four o'clock in the morning when it was cold enough, yeah. stick it on the ladder and, and I made snow and I'm like, this works. <laughs> so then I'm like, I got to up my game. It's like Tim <laughs> Allen time. I got to start adding more <laughs> nozzles, more power. And so then I, I make a combo gun. It's got three nozzles and a nucleation nozzle and it uses an air compressor and a power washer to up okay. the pressure. And when I started making that, I could make like probably a foot and a half, two feet of snow in a pile that's 10 by 10 in my yard overnight. <laughs> nice. And the first time I did it in my backyard, uh, I got I got home from work after the 11 o'clock news, turned it on, yeah. and I stayed up all night because you don't want hoses to break or something yeah. to go. So I slept on the couch, get up every hour to check it. <laughs> Next morning, wake up, and there's huge, it was awesome. Yeah. And I call my neighbors, I'm like, hey, bring your kids over, I got snow in my backyard. <laughs> they're like, what? <laughs> they come over and they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I had the whole neighborhood in my backyard playing in snow. And it was awesome. And it, it was so funny. It's the first snow my kids ever saw mm-hmm. was man-made snow. Uh, <laughs> it's so much so that when we had our first snow in Charlotte where it snowed everywhere, my kids were confused. Dad, why is it snowing in other people's yards now? <laughs> <laughs> they, they, he had no idea this happened like from Mother Nature. Yeah, to introduce so, them to an Ohio winter. Yeah. <laughs> so I, to me, it, it's, it's the science of it's cool, the technology of it's cool, and then the meteorology part of it. So it's like it takes all the interest I have and like combines it into one thing. But it's essentially what ski, ski resorts do. They do it on a much larger scale. I just do it in a backyard. And you can buy the stuff pre-made, but I, I did it all with plumbing parts from like Lowe's and Home Depot yeah. and the tractor supply store for the nozzles. <laughs> So, so it, none of this is a side effect of drinking so much vegetable <laughs> juice. No. Eight dollars a bottle. No, no, <laughs> no. Though it does help. It does yeah, help. Yeah. Makes the night go by quicker. Because yeah, yeah. you just stare at this <laughs> for hours and hours and hours, you know. But it, it's pretty cool. It's it's like I've done it one year right around Christmas. It got cold enough, and mm-hmm. it was so cool to be able to do it at Christmas. Right on. Um, cool. And so that was like that was fun. And people ask me like, can you do it at my house? I'm like, well, here's the thing. You still need to, it still needs to be cold enough. Mm-hmm. Mm. So it's like, I still need some yeah. help from mother nature. People think it's just like a, a machine that makes right. it. No, it's right. like, it needs to be cold it's enough outside. Right. So I just can't do it on demand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need some help from mother nature. I just saw a clip of some comedian on it. We just came as an ad. Mm-hmm. Um, most TV stations are not necessarily the, yep, even the news, it's more partisan depending on which side of the politics they go in. Mm. And they said, how come the weather guys are not like that? <laughs> what if it was a right-wing weather guy? How oh, would we say the weather? What if it's it, a left-wing? Yeah, yeah I, I don't I know the name of the it. comedian. I just yeah. saw a clip. But yeah. he he started off good, but then he wanted off into, you know. I think you, it, you would see it play out in, in the climate change arguments. Yeah. And, and people, was on sometimes about, people yeah. think that's, that's how it is political. But the thing is, and the reason it doesn't happen is, we're data people. Like, uh, like to me, when like people say it's a cold or hot day, mm-hmm. I said, I don't really think it's hot and cold until I look at the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> and I always compare it to what is our average. So yeah. everybody has personal preferences. We joked about so many people from Ohio here. Well, to them, this could be hot or this could be cold. We're not all from here. So mm-hmm. we don't know what's normal for here. Right. So I base everything on what is normal for Charlotte, North Carolina not for right. what I mm. think is hot or cold. Yeah. It's for what's hot and cold for Charlotte. And so what a lot of people do is they use their personal preference instead of what's the climatological average for this yeah. area. So I tell my staff that too. I said, if you want to say hot, cold, warm, dry, 
compare it to what is average for here, not what mm-hmm. you feel it right. is. Right. So that's I think that's what it comes down to. We we like to stick to the numbers. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting because as a weather person, you're looking, you've got to look at every developing situation as it's a new event but you've also got to keep in mind the patterns and typical oh. you know norms of the area absolutely the the thing about forecasting the future is understanding the past mm-hmm. right like the way you know something's anomalous or it's out of the ordinary is by mm-hmm. knowing what's happened in the past and how crazy or out of whack it is mm-hmm. and that's why i think most meteorologists like know climate change mm-hmm. is a big issue because when you do weather for as many years as i've done it mm-hmm you just see things happening different. Like mm-hmm. one of the biggest calling cards for me is not just warmer temperatures, but something we look at called precipitable water. Precipitable water is this term we use for how much moisture is in the whole column of the atmosphere. So it's like, it's imagine having a sponge. It's like if your sponge is all the way filled up and you squeeze it out and you get so, many, so much water. Mm-hmm. Well, normally a wet day for us, like a heavy rainfall, the precipitable, precipitable water would be like two inches. Mm-hmm. Now we're seeing like three and a half, four inch numbers that mm-hmm. I have never seen ever hmm. you know in my entire career and to get that the air has to be warmer to hold that moisture so you you just see events like that you know this isn't something that's happened in our area before so you know something's changing and as a meteorologist for us we could talk about the reason for that it almost doesn't matter because it affects our forecast mm-hmm. it, so just like i have to take el nino and la nina into effect into a, into you know into effect of like how it's going to Im- impact our forecast mm-hmm. If the climate is warming, I don't care why it's warming. Mm-hmm. I just know it is. It's going to affect my forecast. I need to adjust for it. Well, mm-hmm. So, and that that's why as a scientist, it's like we don't get caught up in the policy or the reason all the time. I can I can show you some of the reasons why, and we know for a pretty good reason. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 90, 80% human cause, if not higher. But whatever the reason, it doesn't matter because it's affecting the way I have to forecast right. the weather. Mm-hmm. So I have to adjust. Mm-hmm. And that's what you do as a scientist. It, you know, if, if someone says, you know, these things are impacting your job, you're going to use them to right. make a better better forecast, and that's what we're doing. So when I fly, obviously I'm looking at the weather. I fly from Charlotte, I mean Rock Hill directly to Akron Fulton yeah. now, um, and uh, obviously I'm looking at the weather report, but we have so many apps and tools. Yeah. I don't really sit there and, like when I went to uh, pilot school, we had to sit there and read the maps. Obviously on a day-to-day, I don't do all this stuff. Yeah. I just look at it, tells me the wind direction, headwind, all that stuff. Here. Have you seen a lot more tools that has helped you with your profession, which just make you, has that made you not go back to basics at all? Oh, that's, it's a good question. I mean, there's, that's the thing I love about my job in some instances that it changes all the time. The technology, the information, it's always changing. So you never stop learning. Mm -hmm. I probably have learned more in the last five years than I did in the previous 10 years mm-hmm. because of just how quickly things are changing. But it, what happens, a lot of the new information and technology, it's making my job easier. It's the mm-hmm. mundane task I don't have to spend time on. Mm-hmm. So people always ask, you know, how's AI or anything gonna affect my job? Mm-hmm. It's, it is affecting my job, but it's making my job easier right. because I can spend my human effort on things that matter more than the mundane stuff mm-hmm. that I don't need to spend time on. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we do is so you probably aren't familiar or probably familiar with this. You ever skew T log P diagram, which is a sounding. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a profile of the atmosphere. Well, when I was in school, we had to hand draw these things. <laughs> okay. The, the weather balloon goes from the ground up to the top of the atmosphere. You had to hand plot it and calculate everything. Mm-hmm. Well, now if I can let a computer mm-hmm. in AI do that, or even forecast or animate it out into the future, boy, that's, that's a ton of, that's, at my mic, that's a ton of time saved that I don't have to, to use and I can yeah. spend on actual forecasting. So, you know, for my job, it's made things a lot easier. But in some ways, there's so much information, mm-hmm. but it's almost drowning. Yeah. You almost have yeah. to real. you have to like start putting blinders on because you can literally get paralyzed by too much information. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I think that's what happens with apps. There's mm-hmm. so much weather data out there. Right. Is, and nobody really takes a second to go, is that good data or bad data? They right. just know it's data right. and they look at it. And for me, that's frustrating part because it's not all equal. Mm-hmm. It's like fast food and like a sit down restaurant. Right. It's still food, but they're not the same, right. okay? <laughs> One has got a lot more t- care and, yeah. and it, taken into it. One is just quick. It, it's great to see the passion that you have for you know what do you do. I mean, even when we were talking to Larry, it was, it was the same thing. Yeah. But on that note, 
Mm-hmm. How, what what is your thought on having to put on makeup every afternoon? Oh, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. Do you do it yourself? Or yourself? Oh yeah, myself. I remember when I when I took that job in Dayton. My, when someone said you got to go get makeup, I'm like, what do you mean makeup? Uh, They're like, oh yeah, I got to wear makeup. So like, oh, how do I? I don't know what to do. It's so like go to the makeup counter at the mall. That was the scariest thing. I've ever <laughs> so I walk up to the makeup counter at the mall, yeah. and I'm like, okay, I need this for. I'm gonna be in broadcasting about it and, and the guy was like sure yeah i'm like no i swear i'm gonna be on tv and i need i need help like what color should i get? and he was nice and everything but i don't think he was taking me seriously like yeah you're just wearing makeup to wear makeup aren't yeah, you sure. i'm like no this is for a job i swear i swear this is why I'm but i hate it because you know the worst thing is not putting it on it's forgetting to take it off when you yeah. walk out of there. Uh, and then someone sees you and you're like, what is on your face? <laughs> and you're like, and I'm like, oh no, I forgot uh, to take my makeup. So I have like makeup removal things or yeah. it gets on your shirt or right. just, that's uh, the thing I hate. It's like, it, I, I just don't like wearing it, but it's it's part of the job. Yeah. It's just, it's I hate it. So has that changed? Uh, I don't know, is your TV station HD or yeah. 4K? It, well, so it's interesting. like. At first, when we went HD, everybody was freaking out because you mm. had to get different makeup. Because mm. now it's like you got to get HD makeup <laughs> um, because it's like thicker. And but now, what's interesting to talk about technology? We had these Sony cameras for a while yeah. that had like a built-in like skin softening filter in them. Mm-hmm. So just like on your phone, a lot of these filters yeah. that mm-hmm. you could build those into the cameras now, so that you could soften and and put like fake makeup on mm-hmm. the anchors. Hmm. And it's like. And we actually, for a while, had them, and it was kind of a cool feature, but they went away because we changed camera manufacturers. But I'm like, at some point, I think it's going to come back, because then that's like, mm-hmm. why have everyone wear makeup? Why don't we just put right. like a filtering that makes everyone look like they have makeup on? Because mm-hmm. the biggest thing you have to you have to do is even your skin tone out, mm-hmm. and because there's so much light on you, mm-hmm. it's like powder, so you're not shiny mm-hmm. and right. like glaring. Right. That's that's 90% of what the men do. The women <laughs> have it way worse. <laughs> I am, man. Women in our business, they yeah. have... They they get they get ridiculed for wearing the same thing within thirty days. <laughs> like what kind of makeup? What co- I mean, and it, wow. and the women on women is the worst part of oh it. My they God. they're the ones that are the most critical. And sometimes I want to say, are you even listening to what the person's saying? <laughs> doing? Why? Who cares what they're wearing? Right. Do you go to your doctor's office and go, what are you wearing? <laughs> no, you want them to get you better. Who cares right, what they're right, wearing? Right, right, right. Right. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts? Any uh, final? Uh, Items to promote? Anything upcoming? Man, we have a huge viewership. We can promote whatever you want. No, I'm, I'm trying to think what I have coming up. Not much. Um, probably the biggest thing I have coming up, which is it, I geeked out about, is I got invited to speak at Grandfather Mountain. Mm. So they have a, ser- a speaker series, and they invited me to go up there in September. Cool. And so I'll be up there. I think I'm going to say it's the third week in September. I should know the date off the top of my head. <laughs> I know it's when I get back from my weather conference, but. Um, it's a really cool event. If you're a VIP and member of Grandfather Mountain, you can go and like mingle with us beforehand and then I'm get, get to speak. And so they've had some famous, they've Ginger Z was up there last summer speaking. So it's kind of a cool thing to be invited to go speak. Yeah. It's such a great venue. And I'm gonna talk about how the mountains of North Carolina affect our weather okay. in more ways than one. So it's a pretty great topic. So that's the biggest thing I have coming up right now. So what's the average age of the people who are coming to listen to this? <sighs> Probably gonna be pretty old because uh, it's, I mean, is this a like a regular thing? Or is yeah, like so like uh, the Friends of Grandfather, Grandfather Mountain is actually, a, it's a for-profit um, organization, so you have to pay to get in. Mm. And so they have like donors and they have like members uh, that you basically buy a membership and you get a, you get a free pass to Grandfather Mountain and then you get this speaker series. Yeah, mm-hmm. and helps them build like new facilities. Because if you've ever, if never been up there, it's a beautiful, yeah. mm-hmm. beautiful mountain. They've yeah. got Mile High Bridge and they got a little mini zoo up there. They got yeah. animals. And they have this brand new nature center, which hmm. is really cool, which is where I'll be speaking, which I'm excited about. So it'll probably be locals, but then some people will drive in that are members. Like I'm a member. I drive up there mm-hmm. probably two or three times a summer with the kids and we gotcha. hang up there. Very cool. So it, 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 it'll be a great event. I'm looking forward to that. I know you worked with uh, you worked with uh, Larry Sprinkle pretty yep. close, like for a long time. For a long time. 20 years. Mm-hmm. And he's been there 36, seven yeah. years. He's is that real hair? I don't know, man. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I've I've only seen it move once, <laughs> and I think it was because it was raining. <laughs> but uh, the, the, I'll tell you a funny story about working with Larry. Larry is like the most genuine person you'll ever be around. Right. Um, he's also a amazing prankster. <laughs> so like he used to do this thing, and he still does it. Where any new employee, he'll crank call him. Well, in this day and age, it's hard to crank call people with caller ID. Right. 
And so he got me good when I first came to the station. Um, I had just done, did my first weekend on air. So I did the, I, people don't realize I started weekends. I did the whole weekend. I did the morning show, the evening show, then the next morning and then the evening show. So I did like four shifts mm -hmm. and then I was off for three days. Yeah. So Monday morning, it's like eight o'clock. So I'm exhausted. I just worked that shift. My, I didn't have a landline, so my cell phone rings. I look and it's the station. I'm like, why is the station calling me? I'm just started, so I'm like, I better answer this. I pick it up and it's this old lady. She said, Mr. Panovich, I'm in the lobby. You're supposed to be at my rotary meeting talking to me. And I was like, I'm like, oh my gosh, the station signed me up for a speaking engagement. I didn't know about. So I'm like, oh ma'am, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I'm like trying to shave. I'm cutting myself. I'm like, oh, ma'am, I'll I'll be there. I'm on my way. And um, she's like, I came to the station looking for you. And I'm like, oh my. And so I'm freaking out. And then I'm like running, putting my pants. I got like one leg and my pants on. And I got the phone in my ear. And and I hear this chuckle. I'm like, Larry, is that you? It was Larry. <laughs> he like crank called me and he knew to call from the station lobby. Yeah. So it would look like this person had come to the lobby looking for me and yeah. then used the phone to call my number. I freaked out. I had a heart attack because I'm like, I just moved here. I just got this job. They probably told me I was supposed to do this and I totally forgot about yeah. it. That's and so, so he does that to everybody. He called one of our, our anchors or reporters that was new. They were pregnant with their first child. And he called her desk saying that she had won this diaper changing service where the person comes into your house and changes the diaper <laughs> of the baby. And she was like, wait, so like in the middle of the night, you, it's like, oh yeah, ma'am, don't worry. We've got security protocols. And she was all into this like, so you're gonna come in and change my baby's diaper anytime? Oh yes, ma'am, it's, 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 we've got a long tracker, we got references. She was buying it hook, like, and sinker. And then finally it started, Larry said, it's, it's Larry. And she's like, oh, she started laughing. I'm like, I cannot believe she fell for that. <laughs> and then in his radio days, he used to crank call people in his office on the speakerphone. Yeah, He'd uh, call into these DJs on the radio uh, and pretend he was a crazy listener. Uh, and like, and he'd know all this backstory about the DJ, and they yeah. would be like, "Wait, how did you know this?" <laughs> because he can do voices right. so well. He's great with the voice. Um, yeah. People don't realize this. I don't know if he talked about it, his job when he did the morning zoo here. We, we talked a little bit about. He, it. Yeah. People thought there was four people on that show. Oh. <laughs> it wasn't. It was him doing four characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people are like, "Hey, where's so and so?" Like, no, that was me. <laughs> he was so, t and he is so talented at that. But that is, and he's like that every day at work. Oh, he wow. is just such a such a fun. person person to be around right on that's awesome he works way too hard too if, yeah. I, if I was his age i'd be retired <laughs> <laughs> we had a great time talking yeah, about yeah. awesome well thank you so much for coming by it's been a real pleasure awesome my pleasure guys it's great thank you the bandit room is a production of span enterprises located in sunny rock hill south carolina we've been developing supporting and growing successful irs e-filing and business management solutions since 2010 Go to SpanEnterprises.com now to learn more. The views and opinions expressed in the Bandit Room are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect or state the opinions of Span Enterprises. No information should be considered as tax, legal, or other professional advice. Mm -hmm.